It's uh, certainly uh, reminded me that um, God is God everywhere, and he's God for everybody. Amen. It doesn't matter what your language is, what your color is, whatever. He's going to listen to you when you talk and when you sing to him. He's going to listen. Uh, we're going to change our brains here, and we're going to listen. Uh, John 5 is where we're going to be at, so I encourage you to open your apps or your Bibles to John chapter 5, and as Pastor Philip mentioned, uh, we're going to continue speaking from the book of John, <clears throat> and uh, today we're focusing on the third miracle that is uh, given to us by John in this book. Last week, uh, Pastor Stephen uh, shared the a miracle from chapter four. So today we're moving into the third one. And this, this particular uh, passage and minutes, uh, miracle that Jesus does, a lot of scholars look at this as sort of the turning point in Jesus's work. The ministry sh somewhat shifts because in this passage, you see him illustrating not only is he capable of meeting our needs, but he came for a specific purpose, and that purpose was to let everybody know who he is. It wasn't just to make you feel better. If you came here, I, I hope you're feeling better, you know, at church this morning. You know, that, that's a good thing. But we, we're really here to make sure that we all know who Jesus is, and we're focused on him more than anything else. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good job. Uh, so as we, as we look at this, we're being challenged. Jesus is going to challenge the uh, people at the end of this passage about who he is and why he can do what he wants when he wants. Hello. He's God. Now, it was hard for them maybe to receive that because he, he looks like one, he looked like them. And who is this guy? So as he does what he does here in this passage, they're being challenged about that. And, the, and we, by the way, are not any different. We are being challenged about, are we going to allow Jesus to do in our lives what we need him to do? We're not any different than the people that he's engaging here. And we need to consider God as the answer to our questions, whatever our questions may be, whatever our situation may be, we need to consider him as the answer to it and submit to him as Jesus and as Lord. So we're going to read the first 15 verses of John 5. Follow along as I read those, and then we'll look at some notes here. Begin verse 1. It says, After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. Say that with me, 38 years, 38 years. You got that? When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Let me pause there and explain that. It's not exactly explained here in the scripture. There was a belief that around this pool that when the water was stirred, that that might have been angelic powers in that water, and if you got in it, you were healed. You had to be the first one in. That was the belief, and that's what his hope was lying on. He was resting his hope that if he could just get there first, 
For 38 years, this is where his hope has been placed. Verse 8, it says, Jesus told him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is Sabbath, the law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him. That's interesting. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And I'm going to stop reading there. I want to talk about two main thoughts about this passage, and I'll, re- I'll refer to some of the other verses after that. But you see the situation. There's a gentleman here, and he, he's one of several people who are in this scene by this pool. Did it say, let me ask you a couple of questions. Did it say that he raised his hand and said, hey, there's Jesus? It didn't say that. Did it say that he, he yelled for Jesus, get over here and help me? No, it says that Jesus saw him. Isn't that interesting? Let's talk about what the situation that this gentleman finds himself in while he's waiting by the pool and how this easily could be your own situation. We all enter wait modes. Hopefully, it's not been 38 years that you're in the wait mode you might be in. If it is that, whatever, Jesus shows up whether it's the first year or it's year 94, he'll show up. And what are we possibly doing while we're waiting there? What are we waiting for? A couple of things here, and I'll run through these pretty quickly to help us move along for time. He, he certainly is waiting for healing. He's waiting for physical healing, this man is. He's waiting for that physical healing. And I've, I've read an interesting uh, gentleman's thoughts on this passage, because when you read that verse where Jesus asked him in verse 6, do you want to get well? What in the world is that question? Right? I mean, doesn't that cross your mind? Well, of course he does. Uh, are you, what's wrong with you? Do you not see his condition? It's possible that when we've been in a wait mode for so long, that that condition actually becomes our identity. Maybe you've been in grief for a long period of time and, and you may realize, wow, my identity is the fact that I'm a griever. Maybe, you see where I'm going with that? And it's possible that the need we have has actually become who we think we are. And Jesus shows up and says, uh, no, that, that's not who you are if you place your faith in me. Do you want to be different? Do you want what I have to offer you? That's his question. So he's not acknowledging, uh, I, I see you're sick. Uh, that's not the point. The point is, do you want to be changed? Do you want what I can give you? The, 
gentleman that I read recently about that talked about this. His name is Mark Buchanan. His book, The Rest of God. Here's what he says about this passage. It'll be on the screen. It says, sickness can actually steal the place of God. It can become the sick person's center, the touchstone by which he defines himself. Illness is a tyrant with huge territorial ambitions. It is a seductress with large designs. It wants not only the sick person's body, it wants his heart and mind also. It wants to be his all-consuming passion. No wonder Jesus asked, do you want to get well? You see that? So if, if you are in this position like this gentleman and you've been waiting for so long, whether it's a physical healing or let, let's go into the a couple of the thoughts there, that he's waiting for something to happen. He has emotional challenges. And thirdly, go ahead and put that up, he has spiritual healing he's looking for. If you've been laying there for 38 years, you've probably lost hope. Remember what he said? He's like, there's no one to help me get to the pool. I'm stuck. I I can't go anywhere. Isn't that true that we can find ourselves spiritually stuck? How many of you have found yourself spiritually stuck before? Yes. You have, how many of you have found yourself emotionally stuck before? And you can stay stuck, unhealed, for however long you choose to stay there. Jesus shows up and asks you a question. Do you want to get well? I'm more than just a man. I'm God. He says later in the chapter, and I'll let you read it, but he says, the Father and I, we work together. He never stops working. It doesn't matter if it's Sabbath day. God's still working. The sun came up this morning, right? Uh, He doesn't say that. That's the John Gregory paraphrase. (laughs) You know, his work never ends. And I'm here to tell you, Pharisees and religious leaders, he and I are one. I'm always going to be at work. I'm here. I'm working. I'm always at work for you. What do you need? What do you want? Isn't that refreshing, life-giving, energizing, that your God wants to know what you need? It should be. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a God that just created you and left you to figure it out on your own. We serve a God who cares about everything about your life, everything. So when the refugees come to Fuhase, Jordan, he cares. He cares that Manuela doesn't know how to write her name. He cares about that. He cares about you. He cares about whether you, you may, who knows, maybe you came to Bradenton and, and you don't have what you need. He cares about that. And that's what Jesus offers to this gentleman who's been waiting He has all of these needs, and he's waiting by the pool. So what does Jesus offer him? Let's talk about that. Jesus actually offers him, first, he offers him a question. (laughs) That's all you got? Uh, You're just going to ask me a question? Don't those people who just answer a question with a question annoy you? I'm one of those people, so (laughs) just say it. But... So Jesus offers him, and what is he getting at? He's, he's wanting to help him come to a realization that he's at the end of himself. He probably already knew that. But just acknowledge that out loud. You're at the end of yourself, and I'm here. And if you will, if you will receive what I have, your waiting is over. 
That's what he's offering to every person in this room this morning. Your waiting can be over. Your spiritual drought can be over. Your emotional drought can be over. Jesus is alive, and he's here for you. He's always at work. He's always at work. So he's waiting for an answer. And here's, you see this on the first couple of questions here. It says, do you, I'm skipping all over the place in my notes, so, you know, thanks for sticking with me. You're the man. No, 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 no. Uh, Here's the first question. Do you want to get well? And some other sub-questions to this. Are you content in your sickness? What do you want from God? Are you content? Now, let me throw this in some different light here. You're like, John, can you really be content as a disabled person? Well, I just, I just, uh, sat in 12 different homes in Fuhes, Jordan with contented people who had lost family members who didn't know where their family members were, if they would even see them again. And they had, I, I think Bob and June and Sherry would agree with me, they probably had more faith than we did. They had more hope because they were ready to answer this question. My contentment is not found in my location. My, lo- my contentment is not found in what I possess. My contentment is not found in what I, how I dress. My contentment is found. My contentment is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. It doesn't matter where I am or what I have or what I've lost or what I hope to have. Right now, my contentment, and on what day is this? April 29th. My contentment on April 29th is that I am a child of God. He sees me where I am, and that's all that matters. My faith is in him, it's in nothing else. So if you're here today and your faith is in something else, then the question is, are you content? Is that sufficient for you? Is it working? The Dr. Phil question, how's that working for you? You know, the one thing I get, which I rarely watch Dr. Phil, but I love that question, so how's that working for you? If, if Jesus offers you something, he's just waiting for an answer. He's not going to browbeat you and say, you will take this. That's not who he is because he's too loving. He's too merciful, too forgiving. He's going to offer it to you. Then you have the chance to say, yes, I need that. Here's the next set of questions. Do you accept your responsibility? Now, down in verse 14, he makes a reference to this gentleman when he sees him in the temple, which, again, I want to point out to you. He sought this man out. This man doesn't really illustrate a whole lot of faith. He doesn't really illustrate faith at all. It's not that kind of story. (laughs) Which, oh, good grief. It tells you how great God is. You may not even be looking for him, but he's looking for you. If you're here today and you came in here and you were just sort of checking off something, Jesus has a different thing he's going to check off. He's going to check off that I have something to offer you. So in verse 14, he, he makes it pretty clear Your situation, this isn't true for everybody, but your situation is because of the sin in your life has put you in this position. Don't do this anymore. Don't sin anymore. Stop whatever it is that caused this in your life and stop it. That takes responsibility on our part, doesn't it? What does that mean? Well, 
Gossiper, you don't have to be a gossiper anymore. If you're addicted to something, you don't have to be addicted to it anymore. If you lack love, you don't have to be a loveless person anymore. But it's going to be on you. It's going to be on us as believers. Look at what these verses say from Hebrews 12, verses 11 and 13. What it says about us as taking responsibility. Do you accept your responsibility is the question. Do you accept the fact that there's something hindering your belief? Here's what uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Those of you who've done rehab, you know what that means. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Verse 12, therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Mercy. What is that? I probably should have spoken on Holy... I wasn't told to speak on Hebrews 11, but that's a lot of good stuff right there. What it tells me is that Jesus, Jesus has what I need, and he's going to offer it to me, but it's not a freebie. There's a responsibility in my heart and in my life and in my will to say, I'm with you. I'm going to get up. When you tell me to get up, I'm going to get up. When you tell me to pick my mat up, even though I haven't done it in 38 years, I believe you that you can do that. There's nothing going to hinder my belief in you, Jesus. If there's something, something hindering your belief this morning, whether that's something belief, uh, hindering your belief about your family, maybe it's something hindering your belief about your finances, your job, students, where, where you're going to go to college and how you're going to pay for it, whatever it is that you are tending to want to hang on to, don't wait 30 years to figure out whether you can trust God with that or not. Right? Don't wait on that. According to Hebrews, I just need to get to work. And it's not in my works. Let's understand that. It's not in my works. It's just I'm putting my faith in Jesus. If he says get up, get up. Even though this man's will was probably broken after 38 years, not only did Jesus heal him and help him be able to stand, Jesus healed his will. Mercy. Jesus healed his will, his intent, his... He opened his eyes, which I skipped a verse. I want to go back to that verse because <clears throat> it's, it's a good verse. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What does that tell me? It tell me that, tells me that it's possible my blindness is because there's spiritual warfare going on, and Satan wants me to stay blinded. Satan wants you to not see who Jesus is, right? Well, look at this verse from Romans 5, 6. What did Jesus do? It says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does that accomplish? Accomplishes that you don't have to stay blinded. You don't have to stay spiritually disabled. You don't have to stay emotionally handicapped. And Jesus is just asking you, do you want to join me in what I have for you? Because I have everything, and I do this on Sabbath, by the way. Because the Father and I are one, we work together, and we work all the time. Here's the last question that Jesus might be waiting on an answer 
for all of us from, and that is, do you accept your inability? Where are you looking for your hope? This man was looking for hope in that water. And he had to understand, I'm incapable of giving in that water. I'm incapable of finding what I need. The opposite of that, that we have to give up in our lives, I think it could be summarized in one word, and that is pride. Say, God, I'm not capable. I can't overcome this, whatever it is. I need you, only you. If you tell me to get up, I'm not gonna question it. I'm just gonna get up. If you tell me it's possible, even though if I, I don't get it, I'm going to say yes, because it's not about my strength, it's about yours. You are a risen God. Surely you can take care of whatever it is that's going on in my life. Amen? Amen. I want to show you a picture, and then I'll close, a picture of a gentleman that we met in Jordan, this gentleman there in the center. His name is Huswain. Uh, Huswain lived in Mosul, Iraq, and uh, he's one of the guys that was not a believer, but God has brought him to a place where, you know, you might say he was by the pool, and uh, he had a moment where he chose to answer these questions and place his faith in Jesus, and that's a story we can talk more about on Wednesday night, but here's the part of the story I want to share with you that illustrates to us the power of what Jesus is capable of doing in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our bodies. When we say, we love God with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my body. And here's what happened. His home was destroyed in Mosul. And he was, he was a well-to-do guy. Had all the things he needed. Was an important person. Uh, but when his home was destroyed and he had to leave town, that was all gone. It's, it's done. And he, be, he became a believer. So now he's output by his family. He, he can't go back. Iraq is done for him. You follow me? He's, it's done. So he's living on faith in Fuhais and doing ministry. He's part of the team there at the church. And uh, actually, the cool thing that's happened to his house back in Mosul is he has given his house to the ministry for them to, to rebuild it and refurnish it so a church can get started in Mosul, Iraq. I've seen videos of this happening, and it's, it's pretty well done, and believers are meeting in his house. But here's what happened while all of that was going on. This house is being restored. Here's a man living on faith, not having a whole lot of money. He's married with three kids, and he gets a phone call, and he's offered $200,000 for his house in Mosul. He has a choice to make. What's more important? Safety? Security for my family, $200,000, or the church keeping my house so a church can get started in my home city? Well, you can guess which one he chose. He, he chose this one. He declined common sense. He declined what the world would tell him to do. You know why? He's answered the question. 
My contentment is found in knowing that all people can know my God, knowing that all people can be healed, knowing that all people knowing that all people are worth the sacrifice. The question to you today is, do you want to get well? Do you want what Jesus has for you? If you're laying by the pool, he's offering you to get up. He's offering you physical, emotional, spiritual healing. Would you bow in prayer, please?